0: Welcome back to the uh, the Airspace Executive Podcast. I am I'm really happy to have my friend uh Captain uh, Bob Waltz with me. Bob is uh with Southwest Airlines. Uh, his background is pretty great. It's it's a pretty uh, spectacular background. Vice President of Flight Operations for the airline for the last couple of years. Uh before that, he was the uh partner 119 chief pilot and uh he's back to fly in the line. So uh Bob, I'm I'm just happy to have you on board. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the safety the the culture of safety throughout the uh throughout the
1: industry um thank you for having me
0: yeah i love it what's happening in texas today
1: oh just uh getting through the weather we were i was out flying last night as a matter of fact and came in from the west and watched all that uh weather pushing off to the east here so you know, obviously our, our hearts go out to all the folks getting beat pretty badly by some of those storms out east but uh thankfully today it's a uh, overcast but not too bad of a day here
0: a friend of mine last night he sent me the uh, he sent me uh, the line of, he shot, did a screenshot from his cockpit of the line of storms. Oh yeah, it was, was amazing.
1: There. It was we could see I mean literally from the Gulf of Mexico I think all the way up across the Great Lakes there was just a line of uh, just severe weather that. Uh, was was monstrous and uh, and for me lucky because normally I would probably be going that way so it just so happened I wasn't last night but uh yeah it was uh, it was quite a,
0: a bit of weather to deal with. I just told him five he was on a challenger 350 and I just said yeah four five oh is a good altitude to follow <laughs> and that's probably not even good enough. So no uh, not
1: for some of those storms. They were they were packing a punch.
0: So good. But uh so hey look let's talk we've gone a little over 10 years without a major mishap in the commercial airline world talk about let's talk about the culture of safety a little bit sure. that's ingrained and uh, in, i mean literally everybody talks about safety as the number one mission and the fact that we could go millions of flights without a major incident is is amazing
1: it really is and you know i think some of it uh goes back to some initiatives that came from the uh, the FAA uh, and uh, an acknowledgement that uh, there may have been some gaps in the past in certain areas of training. When you really think about in the airline industry, um, we have done so well in um, some of those areas that used to be really problematic areas, uh, controlled flight into terrain, uh, uh, runway excursions during emergency, say, during, uh, say, an engine fire on takeoff, those kinds of things. We built training for those. We built systems to help you know mitigate the risk in those areas, and they've essentially, knock wood, become you know non-events. The just a number of years ago now, and it's probably been about four or five years ago, uh, the FAA stepped up, and I thought it was it was very timely in directing uh, extended envelope training and upset prevention and recovery training for both uh, anyone who's going to get an ATP. And then for the carriers to implement as well, the Part 121 carriers uh, going forward. Um, And I'll say this is some of the best training that I ever received in the uh, simulator and that I ever had the chance of giving. I was a Czech airman at the time as well at Southwest. and was one of our extended envelope uh, trainer, uh, initial cadre. And what we did there were things that you normally wouldn't do in a transport category airplane, but if you had been lucky enough to maybe have gotten some spin training in your uh in your civilian training or if you're military we did a lot of that stuff in the t-37 you know this the stall spins spin prevents all that kind of stuff that we could then now in the these highly uh accurate simulators taking uh, extrapolated flight data and some actual flight data that was built in to see how our airplane 737 would handle not only in the approach to stall but in the deep stall uh, in every uh, part of our envelope from, you know, takeoff and touchdown all the way up to 410 and give it a chance for pilots to see what the recovery techniques were like, how the aircraft handles, and then give them confidence in the airplane that these are very well-designed machines, the Airbus as well. Any uh, certificated airplane these days are designed to standards that are really set up to help you succeed if you recognize let the airplane do what it needs to do, and then recover. So um, if you'll note, it was interesting, they had predicted, the FAA had said, the next crash more than likely would be uh, one in which uh, folks lost control of an airplane that was flyable in one of these types of events. And you'll recall, we did, unfortunately, have that incident down uh, around Houston, where a 7-6 inadvertent um activation of the go-around mode and then you know the recovery techniques and all that stuff uh didn't work out well so that being said i think the the emphasis on training the the acknowledgement that everyone needs to have hands-on training uh really takes us to another level and that's why we see where that's why we are where we are today that generally speaking um there's not too many surprises you at least have some muscle memory now should you find yourself in one of these conditions
0: how much are you yeah you know, how much are you know obviously it's southwest and in you know, american united you know delta etc you know how much are you all are, are the pilots you know in the simulators you know obviously there's the standard Things that are needed to keep the type certificate, yeah, yeah, yeah. The standard emergency procedures to keep, know, your your type certificate. But you know, are the instructors really throwing a lot of interesting scenarios at pilots and training them on different, you know, uh, you know, you know, know, pick a scenario, yeah, right,
1: and and that's a great question because you know it used to be prior to the advent of the Advanced Qualification Program, and most, most Part 121 and 135 carriers now train under this as opposed to training under what we consider uh, conventional Part N and Part O training programs. The AQP, the Advanced Qualification Program, embeds within it the best parts of SMS, safety management systems, in that what it's designed to do is take the uh, data from your airline whether it's FOCWA data, you know, flight ops quality assurance data from the airplane itself or at Southwest, we call it FADAP data. Um, Other, you know, from ASAP reports, from uh, irregularity reports, any of those reporting mechanisms you have at your particular carrier and take those issues that seem to be problematic as well as data fed from training that are there still areas, for instance, our guys and gals having issues with V1 cuts, our guys and gals having issues with whatever, you know, whatever the problem might be that might be unique to your airframe. And over time, if they still hit a certain threshold, they're woven back into that next cycle's training. And mm-hmm. they continue to do that until you see a point where you can then start backing off of some of those areas. And then meanwhile, other areas have probably popped up, you know, in the interim, not to mention what we call your bread and butter. Like you had said, you will always go in on your training day because the way we do our training and different carriers do it a little different, but it's all under the auspices of an AQP. We use one day for maneuvers training and that day we will run the gamut and you it'll be a workout and you'll probably leave the, leave the box with a little bit of sweat, but it's a good workout because you'll do all those things that you may not get a chance to do much during the year. You hopefully aren't doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Terrain avoidance, uh, th- you know, thunderstorm uh, avoidance, uh, you know, go-arounds and, you know, engine out. You'll probably fly a good portion of your time in the, the, the box on one engine, probably the majority of it on one engine, just to get you familiar again and let your hands warm up and give you that confidence in the airplane. The next day, and this is what you were probably talking about in the scenario, there's a scenario-driven event. It's a it's line it's a line-oriented uh, evaluation. That's actually your check ride. In that on that day, you will show up and in the box you will probably do one or two legs. Like that's usually what we do at Southwest. We fly short legs anyway uh, some of the time, and embedded in those legs will be a, a number of different issues you're going to have to deal with. Really designed to evaluate. The crew, how well they use what we call risk resource management, RRM. Some airlines call it crew resource management. Same thing for the most part. How well they get through these scenarios, how they handle the aircraft, how well they abide by our standing op- standard operating procedures uh, in an environment that they're more used to rather than in the old days. And You probably remember as well, you know, back when you had a Czech airman, you had to find, get the gouge on, hey, what were the systems they liked to do? And what were the things they liked to hit you with in the box? Because if you didn't know that, you know, you really could be hit with anything. So we're a little more standard. We also train. So in the course of a cycle of a number of years, we'll train the entire aircraft, all the systems, but we'll alternate, You know, say maybe in a three-year cycle, one-third, 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 one-third so that uh, you'll get a chance to sample everything but you'll do it in a way that you don't have to prepare for everything every time, because that also, you, you can lose focus. So a really long answer, but it's, I prefer our, our uh, airmen and airwomen, that the, the folks on the line prefer this system so much more to the old school N They feel like they come out with a, a better uh, flavor of what's going on because they know the things we're hitting them with or that we get hit with when we go in are things that folks have seen on the line. So it's almost like an inoculation. It's like the flu shot. It's it's a year out, so you miss the cycle. But if it happened in year one, by the end of year two, all of your crew members have seen it, if it's mm-hmm. that important. So I think because of that, we don't make some of the same mistakes
0: over again either. One of the things, you know, you talk about you know, SMS, safety management systems, and one you know, of the big advances, you know, crew resource management. Just cockpit communication. Yes. You know, you, you think about the basics of you know, making sure everybody's on the same page up in the cockpit. And how much, how, how far has CRM come along? And how much further does it need to go?
1: Oh, that's, that's a great question. And it. And it was interesting when I when I was VP of Flight. That would be whenever I had a chance to speak with our uh, new FOS, and I would usually see them uh, about six months in for their their six month kind of leadership check in. The first question I would ask, them, I'd ask them two. One, and I, and I hope, and I really wanted honest answers answers to this. You know, is the airline everything you hoped it would be? Is this job everything you hoped it would be? Separate issue. You know, that's one that usually would find its way. You know, to that evening at the bar over a beer, you get that one answered but as far as their experience on the line are our captains and is the environment standard in the way that you were trained it should be standard are we doing are are we following our sops are we when you show up do you feel equipped to go do your job because of the training you received here and you know easily more than nine times out of ten uh the the answer is it's you know everybody will shake their head yes Everyone will have a one-off, unfortunately. There still are one-offs, and that's something um, we work on, not because we want everyone just to, you know, like a military formation, dress and cover and everything be exact, uh, exactly alike, because you have to have a little bit of room to maneuver in, in the aviation world because it is a fluid, you know, it's a dynamic mm-hmm. environment. But it should never be to the point where your partner doesn't know what the heck you're doing. You know, right. that's the thing when there are the issues that make me a little concerned, or when you see someone who might um, actively choose to say disregard an SOP. Because under SMS, we have a way that if that's a bad standard operating procedure, it doesn't work. Please start with it's a written suggestion, a verbal suggestion, talk to one of your supervisors. There's ways to filter that into our system to change the system to make it better so that. Everyone can do what we ask them to do because that's where you normally see your first drift right. is where folks, you ask them to do something that, oh, I, you know, yeah, you want me to use this to do that. I can work around this or I've got a rule of thumb that works better. and lets me get the job done faster. I'm going to use my rule of thumb. And well, if that rule of thumb is okay, maybe we implement that into our manuals. Maybe that's the right thing to do. So we're getting there. We're better than we've been, but by no means are we perfect. And I and I think any organization that thinks they are probably is deceiving themselves because probably right below the surface there's something that's kind of bubbling that uh, uh, that needs your attention.
0: No doubt. So we're now we're tracking. We're gonna we're we're gonna get a little bit more difficult now. Okay. Bob's opinion. Obviously, you're you know, Bob's <laughs> opinion here. Pilots. Yeah, we've got. The industry is stressed. yes, you know, it is, it's just stretched then right now. 9/ 11 came, you know, it crushed commercial aviation. you know then we've got COVID coming along. It crushed commercial aviation. Yes. So now we've got a whole new issue, and we've got a lot of pilots coming to the airline that are new. The, the amount of professionalism is extremely high. But it's still a lot of new pilots learning a lot yes. of new procedures and a lot of new, you know, look, it's just a new culture. It's a new it's a new place. You know, does that does that concern you a little bit?
1: And that's a great question. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll carry on it with Bob's opinion uh, again. And, and we know how have was saying about opinions. But uh, but yes, I, I think that. Um, and it's interesting when we look at what uh, you know. I've been with my airline almost 23 years now, and I've weathered quite a few uh, you know issues. Um, respectfully and without uh, you know any thought about you know the folks that we lost in during 9/11 and you know all of that, the the repercussions for the airline industry coming out the other side of that once security and all that was kind of worked out, thankfully weren't as far reaching um, uh, or were, were recovered from in a way that then the 08 came along and then you had a little bit of the, the financial slowdown and all that going on, challenges mm-hmm. there. But then came the pandemic and the pandemic was just something even just so different in the fact that it, you know, it, it essentially ground to a halt the industry with very uh, unspecified, you know, criteria as far as to what, will it take to safely be able to operate all of those things um and then we saw such a great change in the entire uh, work environment for not only the airlines but for everyone in the service industry um mm-hmm. and in bob's opinion i think we still struggle with the service industry and i consider airlines as part of that in trying to get back to where we where we really were because who would have thought we would say in 2023 i wish we could go back and party like it was 2018 or 20, you know, maybe even 2019, as far as right. in those days, prior to the, you know, the pandemic coming on a uh, full swing, you could do the things you wanted to do. Restaurants were open, resorts were open, airlines had seats. You never really worried about getting on a jet. Um, you know, all of those things were not there yet. As we know, it's been kind of fits and starts coming out of this. Um, essentially it's Southwest and, uh, and I'm sure the, Uh, and this is indicative of other carriers as well, you know, approximately uh, about a third of our employees didn't work at the company prior to the pandemic. Right. That's indicative of a lot of large companies. And we really don't know where uh, what the work uh, work is going to look like, I think, post-pandemic. So what do you do in that space? You have to think of, and I know we do, you know, I think of Southwest as a, we're kind of a 52-year-old startup right now in a lot of ways that the senior folks, we have to mentor, we have to get our hands dirty. We have to be there to help the new folks understand what this business is. We have a generation of uh, very young folks who uh, may, maybe or maybe not set out to be to be pilots or be the aviation industry. Um, and then once they got there, learn what this is like, a seniority-based system. That's a tough thing to resonate with some young folks these days. Um, I would say we have the greatest disparity, but the disparity is also an opportunity between, say, the values and ideals of our most senior pilot and our youngest pilot on the seniority list. If you put those two folks, you put them in the flight deck, you might look and go, what in the world do these two folks have in common other than wearing the white shirt and the stripes and their profession? Yeah, I think we're concerned. We're spending a lot of time um, talking about some issues and working through issues that maybe you wouldn't think you would have had to have done maybe a decade ago. But that's just a factor of the society we live in. You know yeah. what what people value. What a, uh, a new pilot may value their time maybe more than they value their money. Maybe um, young family. You know, and the same things that we did when we had young families. But their expectation is also, hey, this seniority-based system doesn't quite fit that. And whatever the next contract looks like, I wonder if it could look a little bit more like some of these other good companies out there that recognize family work balance. Uh, so that's a challenge. And I think we're I think all the carriers are going to have to rise up to meet it. And we are. Um, but I think it will look different for pilots in, in the next contract or two uh, going forward especially as the environment in which we work changes as well with, uh, you know, lots of discussion around single pilot, lots of discussions around urban air mobility and other things that all of these things will impact uh, the fixed wing world, I think in, in the very near future as well. So concerned, but I think we're stepping up. It's a, it's an interesting time to say the least.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, does the pace, I mean, a lot of hiring going on. Everybody's out yes. a lot. Yeah. You know, so I got to think as a season as a senior captain, you're looking at your first officer and saying how long have you been with the company and oh, yeah. uh you yeah, know that's got to be an interesting conversation because there's so much new hi- new hires coming on
1: there are and and I think what's really and it's I'm happy this has come along in a time when you've already got this environment that a safety management system, that part five has, you know, been since it's been mandated for carriers, and it's really getting down to the line level now. And again, the line person doesn't have to understand some of the nuances of what committee does what to what. That's not really what it's about. But it's about ascertaining the risk level for the operation you're doing right now, right in the moment. Um, in the military, we called it operational risk management, ORM. Sometimes we had little score sheets, we had other ways, but you can do that without, you don't have to get fancy. But understanding who the person is you're flying with, a little bit about their background, how long they've been at the company, you know, um, and being ready to be that mentor as a Mm -hmm. captain. And to do that instruction, that's actually part of our role as a captain. You could get very complacent because for years you've had folks coming in who at a minimum were a check airman, if not evaluator, if not leadership at their company, you know, and then they show up in your right seat. Talk about having an asset right Right. there. We won't have all of that going forward in that, you know, the folks will be a little younger, but it doesn't mean that they're not well trained. And helping them get over that those first couple hundred hours, helping them understand how our uh, operation works, you do have to do a little bit of that. And but also being welcoming and being there, so they know you're a resource because you can easily build a wall with that. you know a, you know you know how that can go. Oh yeah, you're... yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it was like flying with the skipper in the navy. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wanted to fly with the skipper. Yeah, you know, you just wanted so another you, lieutenant. He just wanted another lieutenant, right? Uh, you know, exactly.
1: Exactly. to wrap me so up. It's, so.
0: it's interesting. Um, it, you know, fifteen hundred hour rule. Everybody is now talking about. Hey, look the the pace of the hiring is 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 rapid. Um, the scarcity of the pilot pool is becoming a little pronounced. Um, do we need to back off 1,500 hours and say 1,000? You, would you be comfortable with that? It, it's
1: interesting, and the devil will always be in the details. Um, obviously, we want well-trained uh, folks showing up at the airline to bring in your training program and then to put out onto the line. You could easily argue wouldn't we be better off or would there be some advantage in bringing folks on at that point and letting them get their, you know, however many hundred hours, however however you wanted to break it down, maybe some blocks of hundred hours. Um, get that experience at the airline in your training program, flying your SOPs, flying under your risk resource management, you know, um, paradigm and flying with very capable instructors, uh, maybe having, again, going back to the days of um, we use Czech airmen for just about all those roles today. Mm-hmm. But maybe there is room for uh, that, basically, that, uh, you know, the training captain role uh, or even some foreign carriers. Uh, I know speaking with some of my uh, friends uh, over in Europe, they'll also have they'll have a, a training first officer who early in a first officer's uh career. Well, they'll, they'll be riding with the training captain. The training captain is ultimately responsible for the flight and the safety, but they'll have these FOs who may ride along for a trip or two, uh, a mm-hmm. couple of day block or two, because they intimately know that role so well that even probably better than a Czech airman can because the Czech airman is doing a little bit of everything, be efficient, be ready. And then you can then concentrate on your, fl- you know, concentrate, continue to grow your flying skills and all that that come with time. So I think if you could do it well and you were tight with the stipulations on who did what to who, um, and you use the same level of uh, assurance that we do today in our training programs, it could be workable. The challenge will be, um, I'm not sure the flying public is there Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure that all carriers, It would require them to step up. And that might be something that all carriers may not be in a position right. uh, to to do those things. So that was a very caveated answer. Yeah, <laughs> well, you. no,
0: I get it. I mean, I'm really like, you know, I know a lot of foreign carriers, you know, 250 hours, 300 hours total time. Yeah. they putting people in the right seat. And I'm like, yeah, that does it to me. You know, they don't know. I mean, we can look at the yeah. two incidences. You know, I'll, I'll pick on the max for a minute. And you yeah. can sit there and say the, the two max incidents. I said, well, you got you know, very low time first officers in the right seat. And in an emergency like that, they're not going to, they don't have enough experience to deal with it.
1: Yeah, no, I, with, I agree. I think with with the right. outcomes have been different. Yeah. It, it. And that's, that's the challenge. And that's the, you know, that's the thing I think that gives everyone a little bit of pause, but for those two issues. And, and thankfully great uh, strides have been made both with, uh, you know, with the FAA, with Boeing, with others on system safety that, um, now, when you fly the MAX today, it's a better airplane than the one that we flew then. But again, even at Southwest, we elected to fly after the first yeah. crash because we knew what the issue was. We knew how it presented itself and there was a remedy for it. Um, that being said, you have to have that confidence in your, your team, I think. Right. And uh, that's tough. It, it, it's And it's going to be tougher across the global industry simply because... Um, everyone's just getting younger. It's good to have a, a great flush of new kind of blood into the into the team, but I think we have to build our game plans differently, knowing yeah. that that's the experience
0: level of our team. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, personally, from a passenger standpoint, I love the Max. I think it's one of the most comfortable. Oh, I, do too. I, I think it's, it's one of the most comfortable airplanes out there. I mean, I love it. I think it's yeah. I, I think it's 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 actually a really good machine. I, you know, it's a shame that it it sort of got tainted, and that that too will pass. Yeah. The other question I have, though, is this: Is yeah, you know, we talked about great CRM. A lot of foreign carriers, I think, the over over reliance on technology. I know in the United States, most, you know, well, just about all our entire pilot pool from a very young age, you know, they've had access to a Cessna one seventy two, <laughs> a lot of private airports. You know, they they grew up and around you know where airplanes are are a very common. Thing. But if you go to parts of Asia or parts of Africa or you know, even parts of Europe, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the first time a person ever sees an airplane is when they're going to training and then they become heavily reliant on the systems. Does that bother you a little bit at all?
1: It's the good news is, and I, and I share a lot of what you're, what you're thinking and, and kind of uh, where you're tracking on that issue it's good to see worldwide that um, how they're trained how we're training pilots, the exposure that we're giving them is, is better than maybe it was even just a couple of years ago that there's been a, there's a lot of inventive thinking in this space. Um, and even to the point of uh, you know I, uh, and one of the things it's nice to have a little bit of extra time, but I've been blessed I've been asked to be on a number of advisory panels of boards. and this I do believe strongly uh, uh, in how we train. That there is an opportunity for even things like virtual in the world of VR, mm-hmm. that you if you can't necessarily have all the things you need in a small, you know, say, village somewhere, but we know you can probably get internet because people are TikTok in there. So if they're right. TikTok, we can train them, um, get folks in and give them an ability to be essentially hands-on with a lot of things that they wouldn't have had a chance to do. Because I think something that's also very different, too, and it's just interesting, and I had this conversation with my oldest daughter, and she is 28, and uh, she's a, an aircraft dispatcher flight follower, now a manager of uh, uh, of SMS, of all things, for uh, a large rotary wing company on the West Coast. But I left growing up because they were horse girls, and they knew how to handle wrenches. They could get the old mules started, whatever we needed to do to take care of those horses. They just did, mm-hmm. because it was ancillary to getting there. There's a lot of young people today, and, and I'll pick on the boys a little bit, you probably don't know the difference between a, you know, a standard and a metric socket. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't even know what a socket is. And we grew up and I grew up in a world of you took your bike apart, you took your car apart, you took whatever, if it had an engine, I'm going to take it apart and learn how it works. And so all of that is a generational difference, difference as well that you have to, uh, I think, uh, bring into your training programs and be sure folks understand the theory enough so that they can think outside the box when a problem happens. But then you also have to train in such a way that the systems are reliable enough um, so that we don't have to have uh, custom-made solutions every time the, the smallest problem happens. And it's in that mix that things have shifted in the demographic yep. of who's flying. Um, and I would agree, so hand flying skills, terribly important. I mean, that's the funny thing about the 7.3, our standard operating procedure uh, at my carrier. And I still felt this way, because I also felt this way in the C-130. You start having a problem, the first thing I do is maintain aircraft control by turning off the automation. Mm-hmm. I wanna feel what the airplane's doing. Now, fly-by-wire systems, different thing, but that's, we only have one fly-by-wire system on the max. And actually, you know, touching the throttle quadrants, you know, same thing, and, you know, on the Herc with the condition levers, touching the feel for vibration, Trying to get a feel for what the gauges may not tell you. Those skills, I don't think, are lost. But I do believe that the emphasis on, as aircraft have become more complicated, the thought process is, the minute a problem happens, we want ICAS, we want a pop-up you know, checklist that's actually maybe getting done for you, right. and we want the automation on. I don't know that that's always the best system solution. So I think that's that that's a danger in how we design our equipment. I think we have to be very wary of it as we go forward. I,
0: I think, yeah, I, I think the human machine interface still needs to be there. Yeah, you know, and yes. that's yeah, and that's the that's the issue. So yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. Uh, it's just interesting how technology creates new. Yeah, you know, it's not. Yeah, it's just new, new, new. I don't want to say new questions, new, new problems, but it just,
1: changes. it does. It, and it, it, it can increase risk. And that's why, that's the beauty. Of, and again, you can tell on a, a recently minted PhD in SMS that understanding how risk creeps into the operation is the best way to prevent, you know, that next smoking hole somewhere. And if we can deal with that risk and recognizing something as risk, we make a change, a major change to a flight control computer and system. We need to understand how the various failure modes then might present themselves because that's risk. You just open the door, inviting risk to come on in. If you don't address it, unfortunately, you will find out about it because as we know, you know, Murphy's going to show up whether he bought a ticket or not. He's going to be on your flight at some point. The best we can do at the front end will prevent those issues, you know, once, once something hits the line.
0: Absolutely. No doubt. So yeah, you know, last question. And then uh, we'll, I'll let you off the hook here. We've had okay. you know, obviously the, uh, the big thing in the news lately is uh, some ATC stuff around the, uh, the oh, country, yeah. some runway incursions. Um, you know, you and I have been around, you know, we've been uh, you know, around airplanes a long time. I sort of shrug my shoulders and go, so what? It's, it's always been happening. Now it's just a little bit, you know, more visible with ATC.net on the internet and, everybody's iphone yeah your your comments your comments i, I think everybody in the airport right everybody around the airport is looking out for each other uh yeah. at the end of the day any yeah any comments on any comments no I, I
1: do I, I appreciate that uh it is uh and you and i think i talked about this topic uh in another setting but it was i knew this is a funny world we live in when even my mom my mom who's 85 years old one day uh, we were chatting on the phone, and she asked me. Speaking of the Boeing Max, she asked me about MCAS, and the fact my mom uttered <laughs> the term MCAS to me, I, I just had to stop her. And for my mom, who was a homemaker, and you know the and, and I love and respect her, and, and, and a woman of strength and character, but was not technical things were not her thing. You right. know she she was the emotional and all that. Where did my mom even hear MCAS? You know, and so. That drives to your point. Um, these devices that we carry—that I'm surprised we don't have chips embedded in us yet. That will come, I'm sure. That we all feel very well equipped as experts <laughs> yeah. because we've got Wikipedia at our at our fingertips. And that's—and I say that with respect. It, the, the the flying public deserves to know whatever they want to know because again, they are the customer, and that's the reason this this wonderful industry exists. But for the flying public we'd be just delivering boxes and, and doing that kind of stuff. So uh, all of that said, the fact that, yes, there are some things happening, and, and I commend, um, you know, Acting uh, Chairman uh, Billy Nolan talked a little bit about, uh, you know, statistically, these don't really come up and hit a trigger level. Mm-hmm. But again, because of the proximity of aircraft and and kind of what he's doing is on the fly, he's reevaluating their SRM, basically, because these are, you would normally set up uh, standards in advance of, hey, what constitutes a trigger to look at to do what we call a system assessment. We may not quite be there, but there's enough visibility because of the heightened public awareness that drives us to take a closer look. Um, I do think that there is room to explore uh, ATC Manning, they, they have challenges just like all of us do in the transportation industry. They have already asked for the summer for carriers to, to you know, maybe try to hold back a little bit. That will be hard, but I think everyone is, is going to kind of pull together and do what they can do. And I think there are opportunities that will avail themselves. And we saw it come out most recently in a SAFo that just came out, reminding crews of a number of things they can do to increase situational awareness, maybe a little bit of an earlier listening watch, you know, to understand mm-hmm. where airplanes might be in the pattern. Definitely in those low weather conditions. If you've ever been out in a, you know, done uh, the lowest RVR takeoffs and taxis that we can do, uh, it's amazing. We wouldn't even do that stuff in the military. It was funny. Some of the, you know, we we have equipment that we can do it safely, mm-hmm. but you're pretty much in a big golf ball It's about all you can see. And you have to really depend on, your controller, you have to depend on your other equipment that allows you to know where aircraft are, Mm -hmm. and double down on, hey, that's the tool I need to concentrate on in my situational awareness building. Mm -hmm. So it's a healthy time for us to step back and go, what can we do better? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's a reason to stop flying by any means. Um, And I don't know that it's even necessarily a reason to have to roll out tons of new technology. I think a Um, lot of the tools are already there. It's just never assume because it can happen to any of us any day lining up with the wrong runway uh, inadvertently you know being cleared to land on the wrong runway you know, those kinds of things we have to just continue to to each time every time block and tackle because if you don't block and tackle well you're never going to be an elite team and you miss a tackle, That, you know, in our business, that can be deadly. So,
0: well, well, I mean, I think it all comes down to, you know, this is what I wish the media would portray a little bit. You know, it's everybody's job. You're cleared to land on a runway. It's your job to be listening on the radio, too, to make sure somebody else wasn't cleared on the runway or somebody wasn't cleared to, to cross it. Or if you think something is amiss, you don't, you know, you don't scream and moan about it. Yeah, you do what you need to do to keep everybody yeah. safe, and then you come back and you talk about it later um, yeah. in a professional manner. And I think that's what, you know, like you said, yeah, it's it's an, it's an industry where everybody's looking out for everybody in a non-punitive yeah. way.
1: No, I think you're right. And, then, and those tools are still working, and they're very healthy. They work well. It's unfortunate that, you know, when you think about it, even with the Max, you, some people might say, hey, the Max was grounded with a tweet. Now, for some reason, that's that's what shows up on the news instead yeah. of an acknowledgement of there are formal processes going on in the background that are working well. And they will make the decision. If we needed to stop an operation, we would. But nine times out of ten, you don't. Nine times out of ten, it's okay. What are the things we need to do just to be better? So I would agree yep. with you. It's if, if everyone can inhale and exhale, wriggle their toes, uh, I think we're, we're going to get through okay.
0: Awesome. Hey Bob, this is a good place to jump off. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Sure, it's my pleasure. Be you well, my friend. conversation. Good to see you. You're going to have you back.
1: <laughs> how, do you,
0: how do you like being out? I, I know those I know those. Uh, how do you like being back on the line? Well, you know, I love the jet and I love just
1: being out in the operation because that's that's we all dream about that. I hate to say it, no one really dreams about being an airline executive, I don't think. I think we all we all dream of getting out there and flying aircraft and then that's a lot of fun and seeing the support and hearing from folks, especially folks you didn't get a chance to see a lot while you were in the role, that's been nothing but just uh it, it makes me misty the support that's out there. So Good people, great company,
0: Uh, I feel blessed. Good for you, love it. Thanks for coming on, Bob, we'll do this again soon. Great to see you. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube, just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.